Want to start your own podcast? Anchor makes it super easy. Here's what you need to know about Anchor. Most importantly, it's free. Second, there are tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor distributes your podcast to numerous platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and more. You can make money from your podcast with minimum listenership, and it's everything you need to make a quality podcast all in one place. So what are you waiting for? Download the free Anchor app or visit anchor.fm to get started. Tinatenda Chibebe is the author of The Black Opportunity, conversations on Belgian venture capital and Afropean entrepreneurship that explores how the inclusion of Black voices in the venture capital space will shape the world for generations to come. Tino has also written articles on Medium and for Complex's Green Label. He works on projects geared to advancing underdeveloped regions regarding education and entrepreneurship in Africa. Tino, welcome to the show. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the WTF podcast. Before I get into the interview with our guest, I would like to thank Agazella Learn Launch Scale for sponsoring this episode. Agazella is an online entrepreneurship academy that co-creates its courses with learners. Don't waste your time taking courses that teach you things that you already know. Agazella courses are responsive to learners' knowledge gaps and deliver results. Check them out at agazella.com. So now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the business of this podcast called Where's the Funding? And today's guest, Tino Chibibi, is here to talk about his new book called The Black Opportunity. Tino, tell us about your background and what led you to write The Black Opportunity. Thank you so much, Michelle. Um, Hello, everyone who's listening. Uh, My name is Tino Tenda Chibebe. I was born and raised in Zimbabwe and then subsequently uh, moved to Belgium where I've been living for the past eight years or so. And I'm currently studying. And for the past year, I've also been writing a book, which is why we're all here. Um, So with regards to why I wrote the book and how that all came about. um, So when I was 17, I wrote a list of 73 things that I wanted to do before I died. And one of those things was to write a book. Um, So the seed was planted there for writing a book. And when I started uh, university, I started looking more into myself, specifically uh, myself as a Black person in this world, and more specifically as a Black person in Belgium and what that kind of means. Um, This inspired a lot of reading and the formulation of what I wanted my life to be about, uh, sort of purpose and a raison d'etre, which is uh, currently to create access to massive wealth and opportunity to Black people all over the world in any small and big way that I can. So all of these things happening at the same time, me also joining a student finance organization, uh, lended to me... um, thinking really deeply about finance, about entrepreneurship, about being black. And the opportunity to write a book came along 
And when I was deciding, okay, what would I write the book about? I decided to write about venture capital and Afropian entrepreneurship because um, I had all these influences around me and I wanted to organize my thoughts on these topics that I just mentioned. So yeah, that's a little bit about me and a little bit of why I decided to write the book. So I've had the opportunity to read the introduction and a part of one of the chapters. And I must say, it's a very commendable first effort at writing a book. I should write that down somewhere to say, I want to write a book and just go do it. <laughs> yeah, sure. So the whole conversation around venture capital and mm -hmm. investment for Black founders has been that conversation has been on the rise, but mainly in the US is where most of that conversation is stemming from and where most of the literature is emanating from. So why did you want to start have pulling that conversation, not so much US centric and pulling it out more globally, looking at the European ecosystem and then also in Africa? Yeah, that's a very good question. So as you mentioned, um, the conversation right now around venture capital and uh, the diversification of venture capital is very US-centric. And when I started writing this book, I didn't realize just how US-centric it was. Um, a lot of the data is there and none of the data is in Belgium. Very little of that data is in Europe. and I would say uh, maybe the UK has a little bit more than you know mainland Europe with regards to data and this black data that we're talking about. Um, so why I decided to pull all of that together, I did not have a choice um, because um, that's where the data was, but I felt like there were things that I could learn from that data that I could also, you know, um, comment on, pull from, and, you know, think about with the Belgian context in mind. What is the most surprising thing that you learned from your research for this book? Mm -hmm. Also a very good question. So um, to me, I went in thinking that on some level, it's always the best businesses that will always float to the top. And it's always the best businesses that will always read about in the news and whoever's made it there has done it by their own merits and, you know, uh, little to nothing else was involved. But what I wasn't too expecting to find out was just how much of a factor, um, you know, the opportunity to access those types of uh, uh, spaces played a role in the success of companies. Um, I didn't expect um, to find out that uh, who you know, how you know them, and how similar you are to those people affected your chances of venture financing. So that was a little confronting and surprising um, as I uh, went through the process of writing this book. So yeah, definitely like uh, that was the most surprising thing. The fact that you know, who you know plays such a big part in your venture success and your access to venture capital. 
But that's kind of how the world has been structured for a long time in terms of mm-hmm. who has wealth and who gets access to wealth. It's, it's a wealth club, right? It's about who you know. And when you think about people in certain positions and how they got there, it wasn't always by a meritocracy and yeah. what you know, but more so about who you know and venture and other spaces. It's not so surprising that that's how business is done. People do business with people they know. And a lot of the people they know are people who look like them, who move in the same circles and do similar things. And that's where that that issue of pattern matching comes up. Um, Talk a little bit about pattern matching. I know you mentioned that in the book. Yeah. um, So pattern matching for people who are just coming into contact with this term, I'll just try and explain it in the most simplest terms I can right now. Um, it's, you know, trying to look for um, these uh, key signals in um, founders um, based on what has worked in the past. So, for example, um, if I'm looking for the next uh, Facebook, I'm going to look for the next Mark Zuckerberg. And what are the key signals of uh, Mark Zuckerberg that I'm looking for? Um, He is... uh, Harvard uh, dropout, he went to Harvard, um, he is uh, white, he's male, etc., etc. So that sort of like mold of a founder is what I'll then apply to companies that I'm looking to invest in in the future. So that's kind of a little bit on what pattern matching is. The problem with pattern matching, um, as I already alluded to in my explanation, is that you won't be looking for the next Facebook, you'll be looking for the most for the next Mark Zuckerberg. And that's a problem because, you know, it limits the type of person that can access venture fund funding and it limits the type of uh, person that fits your founder profile. And, you know, that's how uh, like black people then get left behind because they don't fit these, you know, key signals of what like a successful founder looks like. So that being the case, what needs to happen to create more diversity in venture capital and more equity in access to venture capital for Black entrepreneurs in Europe, in Africa, just more globally? Mm. Yeah, so that is the, the key question that a lot of people are trying to grapple with today. And I wrote a little bit about that in my book. And what I came to find out through the interviews and through the research that I did was that really um, diversifying um, VCs to begin with is one of the biggest steps that we can take to you know, attracting diverse sets of founders. Um, the thinking behind that is that when you diversify the people that are actually like doing the venture financing themselves. Um, Yeah, also diversifying the networks that those people come with, right? So that means like your venture firm has also diversified and its pipeline has diversified, which is like the, you know, the type of uh, networks that, you know, generates these leads that generate um, the the type of founders that, you know, come and find, find them. So when we do that, um, we're opening up the pool to um, who knows these VCs and how they can get in contact with them. So that's like, uh, you know, 
again, like just uh, diversifying that, 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 that pool and stream of people that are coming in. So that's a big step. And I also think um, the second thing is, you know, um, just being aware that uh, these are some of the biases that um, venture financers might have, although they might think that, you know, um, they are, you know, investing based on, you know, uh, the potentials of businesses. I think like just being aware of their potential biases can also go a long way in uh, diversifying the amount of founders that get venture capital financing. And in becoming aware, I think um, these uh, VC firms can also develop systems of accountability because um, it's all fine and dandy to say like, hey, we wanna improve on this. But then if you can't measure that improvement, then you know, the likelihood of improving decreases significantly. So systems of accountability will also go a long way in diversifying who gets venture financing. And also um, having these VCs, you know, um, advise uh, the, the, the startups that they invest in um, to have black people on their board um, also goes a long way. And it also helps them to get a better understanding of, you know, what their product can do for like, you know, a broader set of people. So I, I'm going to read a little bit um, about the state of things in the US and then ask you about the state of, of the VC ecosystem in, in Belgium in particular, and then mm -hmm. maybe a little bit more broadly in Europe. Mm -hmm. A newly published report from Crunchbase shows that as of August 31st, 2020, Black and Latinx founders in the US raised 2.3 million in funding which represents just 2.6% of the total 87.3 billion in funding that has gone to all founders so far in 2020. Experts say that the gap stems from the, the racial wealth gap, which causes many black entrepreneurs to be left out of opportunities to receive venture funding. And we won't even talk about the dearth of opportunities for black women in particular, because that's like less than 1%. How does the situation in Belgium compare to what I just read here? Do you have recent data? Mm. So that's a really good question. And I'm so happy that you used the word data because that's a key sticking point, not only here in Belgium, but at, in Europe at large. Um, there's not a lot of data that's being tracked on race in general, but let alone like, you know, on different underrepresented groups within like venture capital for example so with what i found in the us you guys are able to discuss about these things using data so um the discussions are more specific the discussions are more they hold a lot more weight because you know that's what data does it validates it confirms but we don't have that in belgium yet so that's the kind of place that the Belgian ecosystem is working from. And I think if we don't track um, data based on race, um, I think we won't get very far with these conversations because data also uh, informs policy. And if we don't have uh, policies in place um, to track what's happening to encourage uh, the diversification within VC, 
and within companies in general, then we won't get very far. So that's the situation in Belgium in contrast to the US right now. What's the appetite in Belgium for conversations around diversity and equity and inclusion in the venture capital space? Because I, I suppose it's a much newer conversation than here in the yeah. US where that conversation has been bubbling up mm -hmm. for a while. But in the European context and in Belgium specifically, what's the appetite? What, what, what's the posturing? What are you hearing from people in the venture space when, when these conversations get brought up? Yeah, so I think with these types of conversations around diversity, around inclusion, I think there's more headway being made where women are concerned. And I think uh, if I'm to be more specific, I'd say where white women are concerned, I think the conversations there are uh, more advanced, more pronounced. Um, they have a lot of data backing them as well. And yeah, I think people get those more. But when we talk about uh, things on race, the conversations get a little bit uh, you know, edgier, um, uh, there's a lot less being said. Um, there's a lot of things like a uh, population that I mentioned, like, oh, um, there's not a lot of black people here, or there's not a lot of people of immigrant uh, uh, background here. Therefore, you know, uh, it makes sense that there's no black uh, venture capitalists in Belgium. So those are the types of reactions that, you know, I've been getting throughout the year. I've been conducting interviews around this book. Um, so yeah, that's where it's at right now. And um, just to comment on that position, I don't think it's a healthy position to be in, um, especially if we're talking about population and using that to justify the lack of Black people within the VC ecosystem. So speaking of population, what's, yeah. what's the demographic breakdown? Hmm. What's the size of the Black population in Belgium of whatever background of Black currently? So like in terms of uh, specifying into like how many Black people are in Belgium, I don't have that number and I don't think that it's available. I'm open to being wrong, but I don't think that's something that uh, is publicly available at the moment. Not even from demographic surveys? Um, so that's the thing. I think you can't collect data based on race. You can do it on like immigration background. So the only like uh, indicator you'd have for like a quantity of Black people within Belgium would be if you, co if you like collect people of uh, Rwandan background, uh, Congolese background, Burundi background, and then like group these together and then assume, okay, these are all the Black people in Belgium. And I don't think that's uh, the best way to like handle things because you're making a lot of assumptions with that. And not only that, I think there are a lot more Black people that don't share those like backgrounds that are, you know, just Belgian, right? So what do you do with just Belgian Black people, right? Because at some point, like within, um, you know, uh, counting, um, you know, where is someone's descent from, like you kind of lose 
um, the background thing. So, you know, mm. there are Black Belgians, they're born and raised here, their parents are Black. So where do they get counted? That's interesting because the U.S. is such a racialized society. When yeah. census is done, one of the major categories, boxes that you tick on that is what's your, your ethnic background? Because yeah. a lot goes into those numbers in terms of how resources are distributed and who's where and how, what's the number of people. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting that that doesn't happen. And I guess because, you know, it's a more homogeneous and less, I guess, multicultural in terms of the extent of the number of people of different backgrounds who are there compared to the United States. But I still, I don't think it's, it's an excuse to, to not have more data. Yeah, um, sure. that disaggregates what the society actually looks like. Yeah, and like just a comment on the fact that the data has all these censuses that are racialized, like you can also validate like uh, market potential with those types of numbers. If you are to create a business that's by Black for Black, you know, you can use those numbers to like validate your business. But then if you don't have those numbers like here, then you're kind of stuck if you're trying to, picture business and the potential of the market. Tino, I think I might have the next topic for your book though. Okay. To do that research, to try to get a sense of what that population looks like, you know, where in terms of business and entrepreneurship, what kinds of businesses are the black population engaged in? How mm -hmm. many of them are in businesses that seek venture funding and then try to to get a little deeper into that maybe the book goes into some of that i'll allow you to expound if it does no i think you're right i feel like there's a huge uh, opportunity for like a deep dive into like the hard numbers my book uh was mostly uh, based on interviews and uh, a lot of like uh, desk research and what's already available around there, but it's not like I went out to do like my own studies and do my own surveys kind of thing. But I think just like you mentioned, um, a lot of people have brought this point up, like if we're discussing my book, like and even some of my professors at school, they were like, hey, um, this might be something interesting for you, like at a PhD level. And I'm like, whoa there, who says I wanna be there for that? But like if that opportunity presents itself, like for sure, I think there is an opportunity to do some um, real, like a real deep dive in the numbers. And I'm pretty sure like a lot of Belgian academics have um, maybe done this already. Um, not too sure about that, but I'm, I don't wanna discount it like, oh, it's not been done already kind of thing. So what are the types of businesses so tell me a little bit more about the entrepreneurship landscape in Belgium. What are the right. types of businesses uh, that, that people are engaged in? So in terms of like uh, VC, um, the types of companies that are VC back in Belgium, like um, healthcare businesses are really big here. Um, and I asked one of the VCs here in Belgium, like why that, why the case is that you know Belgium's so big in healthcare and chemicals and uh, stuff like that, and he told me um, it's been it, so. First of all, he said he doesn't know, and the reason why he answered he doesn't know 
uh, is because like it's not something that he's ever had to think about. But if you were to guess, it would be because of the precedent that Solvay, um, the big chemical company here, has set. And it's been a big successful company for such a long time. And just be, and because of that, it's just created like a precedent of like, you know, spin-off companies being formed and a lot of research being funded within those uh, types of businesses. So that's what Belgium is really good at. It's really good at like healthcare businesses. It's really good at like logistic businesses. So within the Black Belgian community, what are the types of businesses that founders are, or ideas that founders are trying to bring to life that would be the types of businesses that would seek VC funding? So is it still just mainly healthcare type businesses or, or are they venturing out and being a little bit more innovative? Okay, so just to clarify your question, is it just the Belgian uh, ecosystem as a whole or like a black Belgian ecosystem? This question is specific to the Black Belgian uh, entrepreneurship okay. ecosystem. What are what are what kind of ideas are they bringing to the market? Hmm. Interesting. So, like, there's a broad range of uh, ideas uh, within the Black um, founder ecosystem. There's businesses that are doing AI. There's businesses that are doing like you know, uh, insert as a service, bicycle as a service, those types of things. So it's, it's like a, a broad range. Um, and those are the typical businesses that are venture capital um, requiring already uh, types of businesses. Um, but we also see that there are a lot of black businesses that are within uh, the entertainment space, uh, within um, food, um, beauty products, et cetera, et cetera. And those don't typically fit what uh, venture financers are looking for. And they find harder times getting into, you know, um, startup incubators, for example, because they don't fit that healthcare and that logistics type of business that um, venture financers are looking for. So let's hop across the ocean a little bit and talk about the what your interviews have yielded in terms of the, the venture ecosystem in Africa and the interviews and, and research that you've done there. What's the most surprising thing that you've found in your interviews and your research about the VC ecosystem on the continent? Yeah, so uh, for some more context, um, I looked at the VC ecosystem on the continent because I just wanted to um, just get a feel of what like Black founders uh, from as many places as I could, like, you know, access were experiencing with regards to venture capital. And um, on the continent, I was, for some reason, I just went in expecting, oh, you know, maybe things will be better here. But apparently that they're, they're not. Um, founders on the continent still are facing the similar types of biases that they face uh, in the US, in the UK. Um, so for example, like- Because uh, you have to think about the funds that are available on the continent for investment, where do they come from for the most part? Exactly. For the most part, they're coming from these places like the US and stuff like that. So for me, that was uh, extremely surprising 
and uh, Larry McDowell did a really interesting write-up on that. Um, and he also uh, went about like uh, doing a similar process, interviewing a bunch of founders um, on the continent for an article he did at The Guardian. And one of the most interesting stats just off the bat is um, Kenya um, only has 6% of startups uh, that receive 1 million or more that are led by Kenyan locals. When we say Kenyan locals, are we talking about indigenous Kenyans? I think we can assume that. Okay, so yeah. that is that a percentage of a larger number? So where's the rest of the funding going to? And who is it going to? <laughs> I think we can assume that the rest of that 94% uh, are coming from founders that are not Kenyan and founders that are not uh, Black. So one of my explain, friends- Yeah, explain that to me a little bit more because I do remember reading an article sometime last okay. year. I'm not sure if it was the same Guardian article talking about, um, you know, for if you are an African entrepreneur, it's yeah. easier to get funding if you have a white co-founder, right? Because yeah. everybody sort of need that white man as the face of something in order to, because they're your door opener mm -hmm. um, to get funding and that white founders who have a loc Africa locally registered business on the continent have a better chance of getting VC mm -hmm. funding than an indigenous African doing business in Africa. So, Tell me what your research revealed or who you spoke to and some of those stories. Like, what did you find and how did it complement um, what was in that article or differ so, from anything that was in that article? Yeah, yeah, no. Um, the, the, the founder that I uh, interviewed, um, he's also uh, in Kenya. He's got a startup in Kenya. Um, he's working in the ed tech space and his account was very similar to the accounts I was reading um, in the US, right? Um, but it, it, it's sort of different because, um, so it's like the investors in Kenya, if you have a white uh, co-founder, they're more likely to invest in the company, they're more likely to take you seriously, they're less likely to, tell, to ask you, you know, questions about whether you know what you're doing or not uh, that contributes to like you know just your general how you're perceived as a founder and it contributes to your confidence as you're just navigating uh, this venture uh, raising space so yeah the kind of <sighs> it's just so uh disappointingly similar to most of the accounts that we read about in the u.s and it was just kind of disappointing for me to find that out that that's also happening on the African continent. On the question of sort of legitimacy. Mm -hmm. So you're not a VC, you're not an investor. Mm -hmm. So someone might ask, well, what qualifies you to write this book? Mm -hmm. What would your response mm -hmm. be to that? Yeah, I would respond that in addition, I'm not a startup founder as well. Um, but what qualifies me to write about this book? I mean, 
honestly, I, it's not like, you know, I'm shoving this book down people's throats. I'm not like forcing people like, listen to me, like, you know, uh, or buy my book. It's mostly like, you can just pick it up if you want. I noticed that something like this in Belgium hadn't been uh, explored yet and hadn't been done before. So uh, if not me, then who? If not now, then when? Kind of thing. And, you know, um, I'm just one of those people that if something's missing, if no one has done it yet, okay, why not? let me start you know and and of course like because of the fact that, that sounds I'm, like an entrepreneurial spirit so, <laughs> uh, <laughs> should we be what what else should we be expecting from you yeah um so just to finish on that point like of course um there are going to be gaps in my knowledge they go because i lack that you know experiential nuance i like that um you know uh some of the perspective that someone who's already a VC in Belgium might already have about the ecosystem. And to that, I say like, whoever comes after me and whoever you know wants to critique and stuff like that, please go ahead, please improve on my work. This is just a start. I just wanted to start a conversation. And the more that we add on to that and the more nuance, the more perspective, the more data that we can contribute to whatever I started and whatever I did, please, uh, do so and add that and what more you can expect from me um to be honest i don't know i just want to spend uh, the rest of this uh, upcoming year um uh, talking about my book talking about the ideas that i explored in my book um making sure like i spread the word as far and wide as i can uh, humanly uh, do and then um, whatever comes after that, I'll just see if it aligns with my purpose in life and, you know, take it from there and, you know, go with that. Well, it's a great topic of conversation to start bringing light to in a space where it's not a conversation that's a part of, you know, the daily conversations that are going around in the media or in the business and finance space. So thank you for doing that. So my question is, in your opinion, from your research, what do you think is the global opportunity cost of limited access to venture capital to develop Black entrepreneurs and scalable business uh, ideas and innovations? Mm. So when I think about like opportunity costs, I started uh, like when you just asked it just now, I started immediately talking about, okay, what would that calculation even look like? How would I even like put those numbers together? But then I think, man, it's, we can't even comprehend it. I think we're missing out on maximizing the potential of our societies and we're missing out on maximizing um, the potential of uh, the communities, especially like, um, the underrepresented, under-resourced communities that we have within our, you know, societies. So there's, we're missing out on potential unicorns, more of those. We're missing out on better and bigger products that work for more people. So I think the opportunity cost is limitless. Do you know, when does the book drop? And where can we purchase it? 
Okay, so the book drops in April. You can purchase it on Amazon. Uh, just, uh, you know, search the Black Opportunity when uh, April uh, comes around and hopefully by then, like, it'll show up as a first search result and you can purchase it from there. Where can people follow you to, you know, kind of follow your story and get more information when the book actually launches? Yeah, for sure. So my LinkedIn, uh, Tino Chibebe, you can just uh, add me on there. Um, you can follow me on Twitter, um, Tino underscore rights. Um, you can also follow me on Instagram, Tino.rights.stuff. Well, Tino, thank you so much for stopping by and talking about your book. Much needed conversation, much needed start, because everything starts with a start right somebody has to be the first one to do it and you volunteered you raised your hand you did the work and now it's out there for other people to add to as it relates to the lack of equity and diversity and opportunities for black founders in the VC space in Europe mm -hmm. because there's a dearth of literature and research around that topic in the European space so thank mm -hmm. you for doing that and thank you to our listeners for joining we hope that you got what you expected when you tuned in to this episode. If not, let us know what you want us to cover by completing a short survey in the show notes. So make sure you check those out. If you would like to be a guest or a sponsor, please contact us at wheresthefunding at gmail.com. The podcast is available on Apple, Anchor, Pod, uh, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> please subscribe, stream, download, rate, review, all of that good stuff. And follow the podcast on Instagram at Where's the Funded Podcast and on Facebook at Where's the Funded Africa Edition Podcast. Thank you so much and join us for the next episode.